and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman, coming back from the Great White North at the Toronto Film Festival. So this week, we're going to recap my trip, some of the things that I saw going to do kind of the top five best movies that I saw there. But first, kind of a brief recap of the festival. Um, I would say, you know, this is only my second time going to the Toronto Film Festival. Um, And last year, we did a really great show on it. Um, It was kind of like a big year that felt like a big return from uh, the the pandemic era, because there was a couple very big high profile premieres um such as the new steven spielberg movie or the new knives out movie um there is you know maybe a one criticism being that they maybe were a little too many celebrities there um i mean toronto is typically a very like star-filled episode or a star-filled festival um but you know even last year there were like jokes of like all right, we just have like Oprah coming in for a Q&A or Taylor Swift in for a Q&A and stuff like that. Um, this year, there was definitely a very weird vibe on on sort of the ground level because there's still the strikes going on um, with the Actors Union and the Writers Union. And that's kind of put this weird energy with a lot of the fall festivals because um, the actors cannot necessarily be you know, promoting their uh, material and their new projects that are premiering there because they are on strike um, and certain people choosing to, you know, out of solidarity, not promote. Um, It's caused a couple things this year, like Challengers and the new Dune movie to be pushed back off the calendar um, without the actors there to necessarily walk the red carpet and promote the movies that way. Um, And so this year kind of... wasn't it didn't feel as sort of like star filled at every corner like it did last year of you know did not they obviously were a a couple big premieres there um and you know filmmakers there introducing their films and other people that worked on them but there wasn't kind of like the endless red carpets (laughs) everywhere or sort of the idea of like i remember last year at one point kind of like walking to one of my screenings like you're trying to like push through this huge mob of people <laughs> that are just sort of crowding the streets and like at one point being like oh is that ewan mcgregor over there and just being like i don't have time to stop i can't stop and look i have to keep going and going and going to try and get to uh the next screening um so there was kind of it felt like in and talking to a couple other critics there like it felt like in sort of trying to counter the fact that they couldn't have you know x big star kind of walking the red carpet and adding that sort of um extra glamour um or just sort of extra attention and coverage to the festival um this year that the programming became a lot of um directorial projects from big movie stars because if they've directed the movie they can technically still go out there and promote it and you know do all the q a's and red carpets so there was a large number of films this year directed by actors at tiff um there was a film by vigo mortensen there was a film by michael keaton 
uh, Anna Kendrick, uh, Patricia Arquette, Kristen Scott Thomas, um, even Chris Pine had had a movie there. So, and I'll I'll be totally one hundred percent honest. I did not see any of those. Um, I tried to kind of like put my uh, time and effort elsewhere. Um, because the vibe I just kept like hearing on the ground from people that did go see a lot of these films from big stars um with the exception maybe the anna kendrick movie that was the one i kind of heard was was pretty good um but all the others not particularly great reviews and just as i was kind of like talking to people in line for other stuff and asking them like what are your what are you seeing what are you seeing what have you seen already um i was not hearing a whole lot of good things about um any of the the kind of big kind of star projects that were at the festival this year um and kind of the other thing that they seemed to do to kind of like bring kind of extra an extra celebrity boost was a lot of uh documentaries about famous musicians (laughs) there was a nickelback documentary featuring a live performance um kind of in the arts district of toronto by nickelback um there was a little nas x documentary there was a paul simon documentary um there's even the uh 40th anniversary uh re-release of stop making sense the great talking heads concert movie that had its own big screening at tiff this year so it it kind of gave the vibe of like while there were a couple real standout movies at the festival this year it kind of gave the vibe that maybe this was sort of like a kind of weak year at the festival and even talking with people who kind of go there pretty frequently um you know there were certain titles that they were like well that's a typical tiff title to show up but they they did sort of feel like in talking with toronto film critics and 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 uh, other folks who go there pretty frequently like this this was maybe uh a, a festival that missed out on some of the kind of like hotter titles of of the fall um, whether they be like Poor Things or Ferrari or the Sofia Coppola Priscilla Presley movie. Um, and may- then maybe just sort of, you know, let's see if we can get, you know, if we can get Chris Pine here, you know, if we show his directorial debut, then like, yeah, we can get some like extra star power. Um, so enough about that. Uh, I'll get into some of the movies that I saw. Um, I would say kind of like, up front um i definitely missed two of probably the most buzzed about movies that were there on the days that i i arrived the the first one obviously um premiered at Cannes was anatomy of a fall this french film that won the palm d'or uh i've heard a lot of really great things about it um we might discuss it on this show once finally see it i believe neon's releasing it later this year um <laughs> attempted to get into a screening and was 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 turned away even like as i was walking up uh kind of heard like w- one of the uh many lovely volunteer uh people who are at tiff kind of tell another volunteer like if someone asks if there's any availability for uh anatomy of a fall just be real with them that they're probably not getting in um it was it was definitely seemed like the most sort of in demand screening because the hype out of can was was so um huge and the one i'm probably the most sad i missed it it just largely wasn't playing on days that i was there and it you know the premiere was there was there was one showing that i couldn't get into that was playing 
that the on the days that I was at TIFF um, is The Boy and the Heron, which is the new film from Hayao Miyazaki, his first film in 10 years, um, rumored, and I think, to be his last, although I feel like he said that about his previous movie, uh, The Wind Rises, back in 2013. So I, I don't, I'm someone who doesn't believe anyone truly ever retires. Um, was really, really looking forward to this. This is probably like... The, one of the most anticipated movies for like the rest of the year for me um we'll definitely discuss it maybe do a whole miyazaki episode on the show which would be really really fun um but i i if i don't mention it here it's because i i wasn't able to get into it and it largely wasn't playing on days that i was at the festival but heard a lot of really really positive buzz it seemed to be another one of the films that um people were like really sort of uh going ecstatic over um although it sounds very unusual very surreal um maybe kind of like the closest thing i heard it sort of compared to was spirited away um which you know that's probably my favorite of his films so that's that's exciting for me so let's get into the stuff that i did see kind of do a bit of a top five here like you know five movies i would recommend coming out of this festival to check out um did not see as many as last year i think i saw about 11 movies um which although i'm sure some of our listeners that's like that's great you saw 11 movies in four days um so out of the 11 you know we'll do kind of like the five best the the that i saw there my number five is actually going to be a tie between two movies i i kind of just couldn't pick between one of these or the other um they're so different and so um i think fascinating for very different ways one of them is the pigeon tunnel which is the new documentary film from errol morris one of the just sort of like titans of uh the non-fiction space and someone who i think if you look at any like random netflix documentary <laughs> popping on your queue within the week like he's someone who has had a massive influence and so much of the style of kind of like a certain kind of uh, mainstream documentary filmmaking. He was doing, you know, all, all the way back in like the seventies or eighties. This new film of his is about uh spy novelist, John Le Carre, um, one of my favorite authors. Um, and this is actually the last interview he gave before um, passing away back in 2020, 2021, something like that. Um, and on one hand, I think if you're a fan of, uh, Lacare, um, who I should mention his real name is actually David Cornwall. That kind of like fits into, I, I, I think if you're a fan of his work, you know, one of the interesting things about this movie is Morris sort of trying to, uh, take kind of like aspects of, uh, Cornwall's sort of worldview, um, and how that, and, and upbringing and kind of how that, ex- those experiences like fed into the fiction he would create, um, which even getting into this idea of, you know, having this sort of like uh, <laughs> disguised name as, for on his books, like as a writer um, and even like the performative aspect of him. I think, you know, if if you're a fan of those books and or any of the movies or TV shows that have spun off from them, like this is a really fascinating way of seeing, OK, who is sort of like the man and what is his worldview behind this work and how do all these different things in his life sort of in, inform the books he wrote. 
Um, but also if you're not a fan, I, I think this is kind of like a great introductory piece into maybe checking out some of his books. Um, and even beyond that, it is this kind of like interesting battling of wits um, between Lacare, who, you know, at John, as, as I mentioned, John Lacare is not even his real name. It's, it's David Cornwall, but the idea of like Cornwall putting on I, like how much of John Le Carre is this like character and this this act that he is putting on and this idea of performance and then sort of like him being this very smart very wry individual who has this history in work actually working in spycraft and interrogations um and manipulation and him going sort of bat to bat in this really playful way with Errol Morris who is just um like a one-of-a-kind interviewer and asks like really pointed questions and it's just sort of interesting to watch these two men sort of like you know playfully jousting with each other and and playing with the idea of like what i on on one end morris trying to be like i i want to get to like the bottom of you and sort of fully excavate um all of your sort of um not not inner inner demons or inner skeletons but just sort of like the the inner perception of himself and 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 to sort of draw these large conclusions and lacare sort of being someone who kind of like understands at the same time kind of the tactics to pull information out of people and sort of playing with that with errol morris it it just i i thought it was a really um entertaining movie and and both as someone who is a fan of these books while also thinks just sort of like uh it it has a real kind of crackling energy to it that that i would otherwise not expect so apple's releasing uh that i think in the next few months um so that'll be pretty easy to check out the other movie that i'm going to put in my number five spot i'm not really sure when it's technically coming out it's played a, a couple other uh, fall festivals it's a french movie called the beast um from bertrand bonello um a, a figure who is probably best known in kind of like art house festival um circles but um how to explain this movie it 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 stars both Leia Seydoux and George McKay and it is sort of these three different stories that are all kind of intertwined they're all at different time periods um Leia Seydoux and George McKay are all playing characters within them it's kind of got this idea of sort of like but to pull a title from another movie this year kind of like our past lives and past memories and how though and and reincarnation and how that kind of like um you know unfolds over time um one of the storylines is set in kind of like 1800s like jane austen era france um second one is set uh in kind of like present day in la and feels like something that you would pull out of like a, a Brett Easton Ellis novel or like a David Lynch movie. And then there is a sort of like dystopian future kind of brave new world sort of uh, section of the movie. And it's not like those kind of unfold like you see one and then you see the other um, and then you see the third one. They're kind of like all intercut and inter intermingled um, to sort of reflect kind of like how the the sort of 
experiences and and subconscious memories of these characters are sort of transitioning over time um and and sort of like rhyming with kind of the other uh aspects of the story so it's kind of a hard movie to explain and i (laughs) look this is one of those movies that I I want to recommend people because I think there will there will certainly be people who see it that will be like totally turned off by it will be like this is pretentious this is kind of like uh you know I I I can't follow this it's it's you know so strange and kind of confrontational in places um but I think for it is the kind of movie that I think like if it finds the right person like if you are the right person for this movie it it will be kind of like a really ecstatic experience. Like I said, there's, there's a lot of surreal elements. I thought of David Lynch a ton while watching this movie. Um, it doesn't fully come together in the end, but there are just sequences and moments throughout it that I thought were really kind of like playful and, and, and darkly humorous. And I, I, I just sort of enjoyed kind of having this movie happen to me, even as there were, um, definitely people kind of in my audience who like walked out at certain points were just sort of like, I, I'm kind of done with this, but uh, definitely a movie I would like highly recommend checking out. Like I said, I have no idea when it's kind of coming out um, officially in theaters in the States, but um, I, I think if you're looking for kind of like a unique sort of surreal art house um, uh, picture, um, this is something I would definitely recommend turning to. Okay. My number four is probably, for me, the feel-good movie of the festival, which is The Holdovers. This is the new film from Alexander Payne, who wrote and directed movies like Sideways and Election and The Descendants um, about Schmidt. Uh, This is kind of a comeback for him after kind of the disappointment of downsizing his previous film. Um, Notable, though, that he did not write this movie. Um, And I think while this is definitely... um, I, a movie I largely really enjoyed, I think, tempering expectations or or maybe just sort of readjusting expectations. I think this movie doesn't quite have the sort of um, maybe like biting sense of humor um, that Payne's own work tends to have. Um, this is him solely working as a uh, director. Um, but it basically star does reteam him with Paul Giamatti after Sideways. Um, Paul Giamatti playing kind of a curmudgeon uh, prep school teacher in New England in the ni- early 1970s who's forced to spend Christmas break uh, babysitting one of the students whose uh, parents are kind of like away and he can't come home for Christmas. Um, and it's them and then eventually a... Uh, woman who works in the cafeteria whose uh son was killed off in vietnam and she has kind of nowhere to be for christmas and kind of this weird little makeshift family they or these these three kind of like ultimately very lost complicated people who all wind up together over the holidays and and sort of have to put up with each other but also i think kind of like learn about each other and learn to sort and and are able to offer comfort to each other um this is a great christmas movie it's a great kind of like fall winter movie um it it is the thing that i am kind of so often kind of 
asking for on this show, which is like it's it's a laugh out loud mainstream comedy. I mentioned it, it quite isn't as it quite doesn't have the edge of some of uh, Alexander Payne's other movies, but I think even still is is a movie that like the audience I was in, everyone was just sort of like howling with laughter from start to finish. It is it is of the movies I saw at the festival, the one that feels like oh this this could be like a real crossover like mainstream crowd pleaser if if both like this would be a great movie to kind of like corral a family to go see over thanksgiving um i i is it is it is it a a great is it alexander payne like back at the top of his game no i wouldn't quite say that but you know as a sort of big end of year like holiday comedy i i had a pretty like delightful time watching this and thought it was hysterically funny from pretty much start to finish um Okay, my number three is a Danish film, uh, actually, called The Promised Land. I'm not quite sure when this movie is going to be officially coming out. Um, it stars Mads Mikkelsen, who is kind of an interesting star. I don't really know if we've ever had like a full-blown conversation about him on this show. Um, he's such an interesting actor, I think, because here in the States, I feel like he gets typically... He gets typically cast in like villainous roles, and there is something very kind of like striking and scary about him. Um, but interesting that over in you know his home country of of Denmark, he is one of the most kind of like empathetic actors on screen, and so it is sort of always fascinating seeing him in in films from you know his home country and kind of this this whole other layer to him that makes him i think a much more um you know complex and 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 multifaceted actor than he typically gets used as here in the states even though i think he often makes you know a great villain in in movies and has got such an intimidating presence um this film is kind of like big sweeping historical epic basically it's set in the mid 1700s uh, Mickelson basically plays this soldier who, uh, in order to sort of like kind of like advance in in society and become a nobleman, decides he wants to go out and try and uh, cultivate this area of land, um, the the wild heath of Jutland. I'm reading is what it's called, um, but basically this like really harsh stretch of land that um, the Danish king has been sort of like trying to 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 cultivate and colonize and sort of like spread out to for years and years and years and without much success because the the soil is you know it's it's all rock hard and bad and like nothing grows there um there's you know ravenous wolves there's murderous bandits everywhere the you know the weather is is brutal and unforgiving and Mickelson basically goes out there and is like, I'm going to tame this land, this this wilderness um, and bring honor to to my king. And he gets out there and it's not just Mickelson kind of like up against the elements and, and <laughs> you know, the sort of man versus nature against impossible odds and his own sort of like prowess getting in the way of kind of seeing like, all right, how much are you sacrificing to 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 achieve this goal um but it also becomes this sort of very tense conflict between him and this wealthy landowner that basically wants to sort of claim part of this as 
as his land and as his wealth and inheritance. Um, and it, it, it is, I'm going to sound kind of stupid saying this, but like, this is one of those movies that it, it feels like a movie. You know what I mean? It, it feels like this is a full meal. It is sort of like this big, uh, kind of epic period piece that has, you know, acts of brutal violence while also kind of like sweeping romance and has this like an incredible, like repulsive villain and is, is just, it is, it is a, and on top of that, like also not to give too much spoilers, like is a movie that sort of like sends you out on this sort of high note. It, it, in thinking about it in the last few days is about to be a very bizarre comparison, but um, I was talking to an aunt of mine about the bear not too long ago and kind of like the, the thing I really love about that show um, is, is sort of it's, it's, it's heart and it's empathy. And, and it is a show that I'm a pretty, I think kind of like cold cynical person. And that show like really gets a lot out of me and makes me really emotional. Um, and I think so much of that is kind of the juxtaposition of, it is also a show of like incredible intensity and you sort of have to go through that intensity but that sort of makes sort of the you know the more kind of warm human moments all the more powerful and that kind of is a thing in this movie it is it is as as i said a movie that is like very harsh and and at times brooding and at times brutally violent um, but yet it also has this unexpected tinder side that like when it got to the end, I was all I, I, I wanted to sort of shed a tear um, by the time this movie ended. So I have no idea when it's coming out, but definitely one uh, to keep an eye on. All right. My number two pick is Hitman. Uh, this is the new film by Richard Linklater, um, and it stars Glenn Powell from uh, Top Gun Maverick who also notably co-wrote the movie with Linklater. Um, it's interesting. This is a movie I had heard kind of a lot of hype about. Um, it played at Venice and then like a couple other people um, had, had gotten to sort of see it early before TIFF. Um, and so there was all this kind of like positive buzz of like, Oh yeah, this is, this is secretly like one of the best things at the, at the festival, but you know, no trailer. I don't think anyone has really picked this movie up for distribution, so, which is, baffling by me after having seen it um but it, it it's i'll say this um as i was sitting down for another screening um a few critics behind me were talking and one of them i believe i i said something along the lines of like you know every every few years link later just gotta he he just has to come back and kind of like show us why he's the guy like why he is one of our sort of great American independent filmmakers. Um, he's someone who works a lot and sort of the, the floor to ceiling ratio with his movies can be kind of wide at times. He's someone I'm always fascinated to see, even though he has like such a unique perspective and a, and a curious mind that I'm always interested in seeing what he's doing. Um, but yeah, this is this is like another Richard Linklater borderline masterpiece. Like, I think this is the best movie he's made since Boyhood, um, which I know is a bit divisive in some groups. Um, it's basically like loosely based off of this um true story of uh this uh professor, philosophy professor who worked undercover uh as a 
hitman i believe originally in houston i believe this this one might be set this movie might be set in new orleans though um i'm not 100 percent sure about that but i believe the original story happened in houston um and basically so his undercover part-time undercover work that he would do would be posing as hitman and then have in these sting operations where um people police were trying to catch people that were trying to um orchestrate murders and so uh this this professor would pretend to be a hitman and like meet up with them at a diner or a a motel or something and then like record them talking about uh you know how they were going wanted to commit this murder um and the movie kind of departs from that I, i i think i was a little bit curious at the start of the movie like oh is this is this gonna be you know it it made me think it was maybe going to be something like Black Klansman of like here's this kind of like unusual sort of uh police undercover story but it's kind of just that like one like really cool premise sort of over you know a 2 hour period um with with a lot of kind of like fun comedy sprinkled in and then this movie becomes a little bit more perverse and a little bit more kind of like unexpectedly kinky and weird um there is a you know i i get the sense that this part of the movie i'm about to sort of describe is is departs from reality and is not necessarily um anything that actually happened to this man where the glenn powell character begins to fall for this woman played by adria jorna who has hired him to kill her husband essentially and they begin this affair and there's this you know it's 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 interesting this i was not expecting a new richard linklater movie to make me think of both gone girl and the japanese (laughs) thriller cure of like the gone girl comparison of it there is an aspect of this movie that is like the performative aspect of dating or kind of like who the the people we pretend to be to sort of like seduce a partner or you know put on to sort of like make a relationship work and like are we actually falling for the real version of of these people um that becomes this interesting aspect of uh the glenn powell and adria jorna relationship but then also like the cure comparison of like this is a movie about kind of like how all of us maybe have this sort of inner psychopath to us and of just like this very sweet little kind of like nerdy college man who's able to sort of like so effortlessly kind of like turn on a dime and put on this performance of this like ruthless kind of like cocky hitman. But even that philosophy sort of like expanding out to other parts of the movie of, you know, there's a whole kind of courtroom sequence around sort of the idea of like, okay when he's in these undercover operations like is this a crime that like all these people are actually going to commit or is this this moment of of weakness and how often do we as an audience have that moment of weakness of of saying like oh gosh i would you know someone like keys your car or something and you would do to say to yourself like oh i'll kill that person if i see them you know and that becomes sort of this running idea in the movie of like is is secretly down inside all of us this sort of more kind of like sadistic figure and like we don't really know like what we are capable of but also you know tying that in with the gone girl thing of like how much of our our life is sort of a performance how much of the way we interact with people is putting on a a version of ourselves that 
we think uh, they would like. And maybe there really is no us at the end of the day. It's all characters we create. Um, I, I really, really dug this movie. I cannot believe no one has picked it up. Um, I, I, I cannot say enough about how great Glenn Powell is in this. I mean, we just need to like protect Glenn Powell at, at all costs of this. This is really, if, if there is any kind of justice in sort of like the whole dumb awards race thing, like this is the kind of performance that I think give it, it should be eligible for like a best actor Oscar of it is such a, just sort of like full buffet of everything he can do as as an actor as a movie star in sort of being intimidating and being um funny and being you know intellectual and being uh suave and also like you know and sexy like i mean it's glenn powell's a very handsome man adria jorna is a very beautiful woman there there is a a real sexiness to their chemistry together um, that is is just it like I was wanting to kind of like hoot and holler um in the audience. Um, but it's it's really I mean, she has been great in other stuff. Uh, she was in um uh what was the Star Wars show? Um Andor. Uh she she was on that show and has, has been in a couple other stuff that I, I thought she was very good in, but her and Glenn I, this is I, I think for me was a real sort of like, oh my gosh, she's a full on movie star. And for him, I think this is just sort of like, at, th- this guy should be the, the biggest star on the earth. Um, and if there's any sort of justice and people in Hollywood can, can see him in this, um, it like, I, it was really a ball watching. Um, so I, like I said, I have no idea when that will come out at all. Somehow it has not been picked up. Um, but let's move on to my number one pick. Uh, number one is another one of the more hyped films at the festival. Uh, we talked about it a few months back, kind of at when we talked about can, um, just because it was maybe the most acclaimed movie there. Um, and was the winner of the, the Grand Prix, the second place prize there. Um, it's Jonathan Glazer's the zone of interest. This has kind of been this big mystery movie that, people not really known much about knew it was in in some ways based off this book set around a concentration camp but that you know and he had shot a bunch of stuff at the actual sort of auschwitz concentration camp what the movie actually is is it is about uh the commandant of auschwitz rudolf haas um and his relationship with his wife and his family and them living this very kind of like peaceful sort of like dream life existence but right outside the auschwitz concentration camp and i it was so interesting i i, I stayed behind for a q a with glazer like after i saw the movie and hearing him talk about it i there there's a phrase he used to kind of describe it um that i can't get out of my head calling it sort of like the real world auschwitz um and because there is an aspect of this movie that it feels like you were just sort of a fly on the wall, almost like you're watching, you know, something like the real world or some sort of reality show. Um, th- there's an aspect to this movie that I think is kind of like, it's almost looking at these horribly evil people, um, but through this very anthropological lens, um, even almost, I would say kind of like a nature documentary. There, There's parts of it that feel like some, the, 
filmic language is something out of maybe like planet earth um and hearing glazier talk about how like him and the, uh, the cinematographer and the rest of the crew often were kind of like they were sort of removed away so they could kind of, and, and watching um kind of off hidden cameras and and monitors and stuff like that and being able to to sort of approach this material in this very sort of distant way and wanting to sort of like fully envelop you in these people's world but also like never once wanting you to kind of connect with them and and is just sort of able to kind of like watch their behavior and their actions um it's it is i think unquestionably one of the best movies of the year um a24 is putting it out in december i believe um it it is is a very very tough sit but i think if you can if i i think if you can get to the other side of it it is you will feel like you have sort of seen just a great work of art um and it is a great work of art it, it is a film that i think so perfectly captures evil and the evil in people and 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 what it means to for someone to truly be evil and this idea that sort of like the greatest again evil of all is is just sort of like human indifference and just sort of the the kind of candid casual way these people are able to talk about sort of the atrocities that uh they are committing you know the the very sort of tossed off way that they talk about kind of like you know the crematoriums and the things that are sort of just over this wall and sort of the juxtaposition of kind of this this peaceful idyllic life that they are living with gardens and swimming pools and and kind of uh you know impeccably looking clothes with sort of like right over the wall sort of like being able to hear kind of the you know the fire of guns or dogs barking or people screaming and and sort of in your ear getting one movie and in sort of your uh you know through your eyes getting another um i i i think it is you know i'm i'm out and out masterpiece i would highly recommend people check it out and think it is like one of the great kind of incredible works of the year um so kind of wrapping up i'll give kind of like a brief run through of a few other movies i saw um i did see dumb money which is the craig gillespie movie about the uh gamestop wall street uh <laughs> debacle from uh a few years back if you're like didn't that just happen a couple years ago yes it did just happen a couple years ago um it's got a big cast paul dano's in it pete davidson america forever nick offerman uh seth rogan shailene woodley sebastian stan um i i always have this problem where i feel like i feel like we need to you know wait like five years before you turn kind of a current event into a movie and i i think you need some sense of perspective um or some way to sort of draw out the story beyond kind of its base um like front page veil if if that makes sense like i th- this really feels like a movie that if you followed this news story as it was happening a few years ago with 
um, people on Reddit essentially driving up the price of GameStop and kind of the, you know, way that kind of Wall Street tried to, and I think in many ways successfully kind of push back against that and sort of um, shut that down and kind of the things that it brought up about our, how the internet works, but also kind of our financial institutions and how fair they actually are. Um, it's a really fascinating story. I just don't feel like the movie kind of offers anything beyond kind of a base Wikipedia dump with, you know, some kind of like tepid attempts at 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 giving it this kind of like Adam McKay explainer energy with having kind of like, you know, Cardi B songs playing and, you know, dumping every kind of like random meme and tiktok that you probably saw as this was going on at the time sort of collaged across the screen it's just sort of it 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 feels kind of like an internet wikipedia dump of this this whole very bizarre story um and but i think really finds nothing to sort of bring out about it about like what is the significance we can be taking away from it um it just all feels very surface level um so that's that movie i some other people seem to like it a little bit more than i did but um i'm i'm not the biggest craig gillespie fan um i'm not like an i Tanya person um i didn't really care for cruella um you know i it's coming out here in a couple weeks i would say if you're at all curious about it maybe just sort of like wait to to rent it but i i i kind of found this sort of like a big swing and miss um the last movie i want to bring up uh just because we're running out of time uh that felt kind of like the noisiest premiere there was um next goal wins which is taika waititi's new movie that comes out in november this is the one that was essentially shot all the way back in like 2019 and has been delayed twice once for covid and once because of army hammer who had to be cut out of the movie you can look up why you know, it's it's a sports comedy um, loosely based on a true story of a kind of like washed up soccer coach who's played by Michael Fassbender in the film who gets uh, tasked with uh, coaching the American Samoa soccer team who are uh, the worst team in, in the league and have like never won a single game. And, you know, it, it fits this very familiar kind of like sports movie framework that you know you've seen and everything from like you know slap shot to bad news bears of like you know here's the 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 ragtag kind of like undervalued team um and the sort of like you know train wrecked coach that's gonna like inevitably turn it around and they'll learn him to kind of or like teach him to kind of value his life again um it, it fits that framework and there's nothing wrong with that I just sort of feel like, I mean, the biggest problem of the movie is, is, is weirdly enough, Michael Fassbender, who I, I think is sort of the wrong energy for it. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think kind of as a screenplay, this is Taika Waititi's strongest effort either. Um, I would, I would say the movie is like mildly funny at times. Um, most of its problems kind of re revolve around the Michael Fassbender character of how that character is written, how we sort of learn things about his past um, and sort of the way those things kind of unfold and across the movie is, is I thought was like very strange. Maybe it's something we can get a little bit more um, in detail with um, when the movie actually comes out, but just 
as kind of like the center of the movie, I thought he was kind of miscast. Um, Michael Fassbender, I think, is a great actor. I'm really looking forward to seeing him in the David Fincher movie in a couple months. But I think for as light and kind of whimsical as this movie's tone is, there's something a little too kind of intense about Fassbender. And, you, you know, I think to play a character like this, you both kind of need to be a schmuck and an ass, but like there needs to be, there needs to be a certain kind of, a certain slight kind of pep to it or a certain slight lightness to it. I'm just thinking of something like Walter Matthau in, in the bad news bears and, and kind of like that, that is, that is kind of a close approximation for kind of this character that Michael Fassbender is playing. But there's there's a certain kind of comedic relief that Walt Matthau is able to sort of imbue in all of these moments, whereas sort of like Michael Fassbender as this guy, I, I think the intensity takes over and it's just sort of like, geez, this is just Michael Fassbender like screaming and being like an out and out dick in the center of this kind of like whimsical little uh sports comedy so i i gotta be honest i did not think this really worked at all um once it comes out in a few months maybe we'll get into it a little bit more on the episode and um have someone else on who's seen it um but that that kind of did feel like just because ytd is now kind of in that space is sort of like he is just as big of a director as he is kind of uh, even more he's sort of like celebrity in that celebrity director mold like they were kind of able to do like a splashy red carpet with him and they had like if you've seen the poster for this movie that has like the multicolored bus on it they like had the actual bus sort of outside the theater and and such but um for as much as this seemed to be the movie that there was sort of like the most marketing um buzz about and 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 like the holdovers i think is aspiring to be this sort of like mainstream audit crowd pleasing comedy but it just kind of didn't work for me and and it was quite a shame i think ytd's had like a couple misses recently and i kind of missed the the ytd of you know hunt for the wilder people and what we do in the shadows and i don't know even for ragnarok i've enjoyed more than like his last couple of stuff so that about wraps us up for this week on the latest. Stay tuned in the coming weeks for more featured episodes.